Welcome back to this week's episode of the SeaTown Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. Well, thank you, Dave, for, for joining me this yeah, morning. I'm, uh, I'm sitting here with Dave McCoy of Emerald Water Anglers, the, uh, the owner and uh, fly fishing guide. Um, would you mind just telling me and, and your guests, or my guests, my listeners, a little bit about uh, what you do, how the shop got started? Sure. Um, I, uh, well, the, the simple part of it is I, I own the retail storefront for Emerald Water Anglers. Uh, Emerald Water Anglers started as a guide service here in Seattle. Uh, basically, legally, I think it was in 2001, but the company name and everything, the whole mm-hmm. idea of it started in 90, 98 or 99 okay. when I was living in Telluride. Grew it as a, as a guide service until about three and a half, four years ago. I, um, various forces within, within the community and within kind of my life just said it's time to add retail the retail component to the business and, sure. and so I went about finding somebody to help me do that and mm-hmm. that was quick and easy and uh, boom we opened a retail storefront nice so the retail space has been open in what three years now uh, about two and a half about two and a half <clears throat> yeah I think the store actually opened on July 18th uh, two and a half years ago so okay. so before the retail space you were spending most of your time uh, doing guide guide service yeah. stuff okay. guiding and international travel okay yeah. Okay, and you're based out of Seattle, or you're yep. in color all the time? Yeah, okay. from Seattle. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, moving, <laughs> moving to Seattle from Telluride was uh, was basically my girlfriend at the time, now wife, saying, "I'm done with you being a ski race coach and chasing you around ski towns. It's time for sure. me to advance my career and let's move to a city where I can actually do that." Okay. So we looked at Denver, San Francisco, Seattle, and friends from Telluride had already moved here that mm-hmm. were part of our kind of core nucleus of group of friends. And, sure. Um, so the move was really easy and really the guide service was just a way for me to hold at arm's length the idea of having to get a real job after sure. having been a guide and ski race coach for the previous 10 years yeah. or 15 years. Um, my wife, to her infinite credit, gave me enough space and then was able to support us long enough to where this came, thing got off the ground enough for it to be legitimate. Sure. Well, ho- hopefully you guys are liking it here. I mean, yeah. I've always, I've always Seattle. said that Seattle's a pretty small city for being a big city. So Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yep. Yeah. Very, very tiny town for yep. a big city. Yep. Yep. Now, before we kind of started recording, you're, you're kind of talking about how uh, in your industry, a lot of people, uh, tour guides and stuff, don't really treat it as a, as a real job. Uh, you kind of made a little joke about, you know, your wife kind of supporting you while you know while you do this so you don't have to get a real job Uh, yeah i mean it seems like you got a pretty legit you know business going on there it's Um, legit now yeah yeah um i think in my head it was always intended to be legit Mm -hmm. i really felt um you know when we came up here and i took an earnest look at the at what surrounded seattle before we moved here Mm -hmm. um the, at least at that time in the late 90s, the opportunities were abound for something that I did. Uh, at that time, for those who don't remember, internet was really still quite a bit in its infancy. Sure. Yeah, it wasn't much going on. Not much at all. In the late 90s, yeah. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to move here and immediately start working at REI, the fly shop that they had for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And I remember... Every person that walked into the fly shop, I'd walk them over to the floor computer, <laughs> show them our website, and sure. at the end of the day, I'd go home, and I'd look at our statistics, and I'd be like, 
sweetie, nine people looked at the site today. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Success. Yes. Yeah. You know. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, there were so few fishing websites on the internet back then. It was sure. just crazy. Sure. Um, and it just exploded. Yeah. Quickly. And fortunately, I was in at the right time. I was in an area that was going to be ripe with opportunity if we if we played all of our cards properly and i think we have so right well it seems like the uh the fly fishing community is pretty pretty tight you know i mean like like we talked about you know you, you know my dad you know tim he's been fly fishing forever and mm-hmm. and so i've always kind of been uh, been around that and you know he's always subscribed to you know fly fishing magazines and you know websites i think he has his own you know websites mm-hmm. on fly fishing and blogging and stuff and mm-hmm. uh so no matter where we went, you know, whether it was in Iowa where we were born or out here, uh, it always seemed like he was pretty involved in, in that community and never knew each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, um, if coming from ski race community, which is also a very small, tight-knit group of people, mm-hmm. um, the, um, the want to land in a new industry that, was, that had a similar... Um, social topography to that was very inviting i wanted to sure. be in a place where number one i felt like i um, knew people mm-hmm. and by knowing people was able to open doors and you know proverbial doors and, and accelerate my career by being who i was being honest with about you know what my intentions were within the industry and the sport and yeah. um, using those connections to help further what i was trying to do yeah. and this industry, if you do it well and do it right, is very easy to move your way up the ladder that way. Yeah, it's getting a little more difficult because there's a lot more people trying to do it now. I think, um, but very welcoming and and still, you know, hundred percent at the time and still to this day, quite a bit. It's on a handshake. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a, not a lot of contracts signed in the industry. Sure affirming a verbal relationship it's i trust you you trust me we're right. good okay cool sure <laughs> which is pretty pretty unique yeah no it, it totally is uh i mean what do you love most about about your business about what you do now hmm boy um it's a great question um i i'll i'll uh preface the the real answer with a little bit of i seem to get about a eight to ten year itch where every eight to ten years I start to get antsy in what I'm doing and okay. find some new direction to move myself in. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about what my business affords me is the opportunity to <laughs> scratch all those new itches at the same time. Okay. I'm a photographer. I write. Um, sort of write. Uh, travel a bunch. Help get to help develop product for companies I believe in. Mm-hmm. So I get the opportunity to do more than just fish and guide. Sure. And I, I, I love that about it. Yeah. I still reside within our sport, not having to branch out of it at all. So it's great. Yeah. For that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome to be able to do what you love, but then you know, not ever get mundane because there's so many yeah. aspects to it. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. well put. Uh, what, what would you say your biggest challenge was when you first started your business, this, this current business? Hmm. Well, it's funny, I, I, I look at it as tears. So I think the first was just um, being new to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pacific Northwest in general, whether you're in Seattle, Portland, Bend, Eugene, um, are all really rich with, with uh, 
fly fishing history in this region. And so being a new newcomer to the sport at the time was was difficult. You know, the, the people in place doing what I was trying to do at the time had been there for a long time, mm-hmm. were industry leading, you know, personalities themselves when, when I arrived. And so being a kid on the block in anything, you're gonna get, sure. you know, you're gonna get ignored, kicked around, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's just part of the challenge of, of you know, how, how, how much you're willing to persevere and see it through when you start something. And so um, that, was, that was first the hardest. Number two sure. was, you know, I, I came from a place where you really only had to know trout. And this is a little more specific to the, to the sport and the industry. And then I moved here and it wasn't just trout. It was trout on the east side, trout in the mountains and small waters, then trout in salt water, then there was steelhead, then there was salmon. And then mm-hmm. if you wanted to, you could go into carp and bass and pike and muskie. And so yeah. the number of species and the sheer quantity of water that you needed to become, quote, expert in was substantially... Sure. Larger than the pool you had to know guiding in one town in Colorado. Sure. You know, so that was another huge hurdle was just every day going out and seeing new water. Yeah. Uh, on the on the guiding side of things, do you kind of stay to Washington to the Northwest? Do you go all over? Or? No, on the guiding side, you know, in the beginning, the idea was to <laughs> travel where the guiding was easiest and best. Okay. at any given time via yeah. those connections I talked about earlier mm-hmm. and I'd say hey I'm, I want to come back down and, and guide for you again in June mm-hmm. on the Black Canyon oh yeah sure come on down you know and once you get married and stuff like that that leaving for a month or two months at a time to be in another part of the world just doesn't sure doesn't, if you care about your marriage it doesn't, well, doesn't yeah. fly really well right um, so that that lasted for about two years okay. and then I pretty much stuck to here but um the idea of all of the clients I was meeting here, all the new customers that we were gaining by being here, mm-hmm. hadn't been to a lot of the places I'd been to before. So it was a very easy transition to just be talking to them about places I was very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that really helped push and, and, and grow our tr- the travel side of our, of our business. Okay. Uh, what would you say is the greatest challenge that you face in your business right now? <sighs> There's a... That, there's a lot like so many don't you know where to start <laughs> I, I really I don't okay. um, I mean I can look at it strictly from the retail store component and mm-hmm. um, you know to this day small you know individually owned retail stores are still you know fighting an uphill battle against an ever uh, growing Amazon presence of sure. order now get it today uh, that immediate satisfaction type of stuff yeah um so just the internet sales in general, uh, there, there's that. Uh, number two, resource management in the state is, is under a lot of pressure and under fire from all different directions for uh, steelhead or state fish are endangered in a lot of the different rivers. So that's creating closures on a lot of the water we rely on for local business at times. Yeah. Um, and then in all honesty, and for better or for worse, and I think eventually it'll start to move out of this, but you're still dealing with a fairly sizable component of the industry that doesn't engage in the internet very much. Mm-hmm. And with phone books and newspapers becoming more obsolete, there's this stop gap in there where it's really difficult to still reach fly anglers to let them know that you're there. Okay. 
And so I think we still every, even after two and a half years of a retail store and 17 years of being in business, mm -hmm. we still have somebody come in every day that f says they fly fish and is like, I've never heard of you guys. Hmm. Like, wow. Sure. As it, so it sounds like it's because, I mean, <laughs> a lot of your presence is online. You're not necessarily pulling full page ads and, you know, we, the Seattle Times or no, some other definitely prints, not you know. doing the newspaper. And sure. I, and I, I wonder if that would even solve that problem. I don't, I don't know. I just and it's, it's a pricey gamble to, right. to make, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I just don't know that there's an easy answer for that other than sure. every opportunity when somebody says they've never heard of you before. That's, you know, that's a first impression. Let's make it one hell of a good one. Sure. So, Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you're, I guess doing something right, or maybe it's just chance, but they're, they're coming into your store. So yeah. they have, have to, it's chance. A lot I, I mean, I guess they could have just dro drove by. But. <laughs> that's what about half of them say that. They're okay. like, I'm blown away. There, there's a fly shop in West Seattle, you know. A lot of them, funny enough, are people that grew up here in West Seattle. Sure. You know, and so they're here visiting parents that still live here or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, yeah, they literally were driving by. I was like, I had no idea you guys were here. Huh. Interesting. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I saw you guys first when, uh, so last year, some went to Hope Lutheran. Right across the street, you know, so spent a lot of time in traffic <laughs> going, you know, yeah, down that street. And I'm like, yeah. oh, look at this place. I asked my dad, hey, you know about this place? He's like, oh, yeah, I go there all the time, yeah. And uh, you know, he lives over in the east side, so yep. still comes over to see us, yep. appreciate that, yeah. What, uh, what do you say your business is, is known for? What sets you apart from others in your field? Um, I mean, as far as I know, you're the only fishing shop in West Seattle, yeah. But obviously, it's Seattle, so there's, you know, lots, yeah. including REI and other big players, you know. Uh, well, I think uh, this is gonna, I'll try to be as objective about this as possible. I think, I think our customer service, um, and, and it mostly comes from just who trained me in the industry uh, to really pay attention to the details. That's, mm -hmm. that's really where we, where we spend a lot of focus. And, okay who we hire, why we hire them, how we train them, and what our expectations are for people that come in the store, go on trips with us, travel with us, yep. you know, even phone calls and stuff like that. I think um, our customer service is as good as it gets, mm -hmm. to be completely honest, and it's particularly in this region. Yep. Um, beyond that, I would say that I've got a staff that is extraordinarily well-traveled and versed in different parts of the world and different parts of the country as far as where they've guided, where they've fished, where they've traveled to. Yeah. Um, I feel that's important. Mm -hmm. um, they just bring more to the conversation uh, when sitting at a table with somebody talking about, or sitting in the store talking about fly fishing. Sure. You know, commonalities, there's just more possibilities for them. Yeah. Um, and to brag a little bit, you know, we've got six published photographers and five published writers on staff. Nice. that have been recognized by any number of the different industry publications mm -hmm. and even outside of the industry for sure. that matter. So um, I think we've got, uh, we've got as good a staff as you could ever hope to have. Sure. That's great. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine the people drawn to work at a retail fly shop would be people that are passionate about fly fishing outdoors. Mm -hmm. You know, everything goes along with that. So that's... Uh, the people that's going to work there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I imagine it would draw that. I mean, it I'd does. imagine you're not getting a lot of high schoolers, you know, with no, their first do. job. Oh, do you? Okay. Oh, yeah. You okay. get a few. Okay. The, the, it's, uh, it's setting the bar for who you're willing to hire. Sure. You know, I don't want to, we could easily hire people that are going to be 
not not that I'm saying that they wouldn't be fine employees, but I just I want those that aspire to something bigger sure. within the sport. Yep. Like it's one thing to just be the shop jockey and you're in there and you got your hat sideways and you got to chew in. Mm-hmm. And you kind of look up every now and then and say something to somebody. It's another thing to be clean cut, look professional, sure. be well educated and articulate, and be able to hold a conversation with anybody at mm-hmm. any given time about just about any topic that there is out there. Sure. And that's that's more what I'm looking for with yeah. our staff. And that's the, that's not easy to find. Sure. Actually. Did uh, crafting that that standard and that idea come from prior experience of what you saw in history or jobs you worked or that? That's a good question. I, I think that at first I wouldn't say that was necessarily something that I had in mind. Mm-hmm. I think after I'd had worked for um, a company in Vail and a company in Telluride, um, I gleaned some of the important attributes uh, that I was taught and trained from each of those companies and mm-hmm. sort of melded them together to come to this idea that um, customer service is about more than just the actual service part of it. It's really about trying to make everything from beginning to end be as absolutely seamless as possible through every possible method yep. that you have control over. And you're talking about a sport that you don't necessarily have a lot of control over. Sure. Big big aspects of weather, fishing, angler ability. Right. <laughs> weather. Yeah. Weather. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Sure. So, you know, I just, I, I just, I think I came to it pretty quickly when I moved here because then I was in, in control of myself Sure. and I knew that it was going to make a difference if everybody that I had experienced it through my eyes, mm-hmm. what I'd been trained. And when I looked around at what existed here at the time, nobody was doing it. Sure. So it was going to stand out like a sore thumb. Right. I mean, that sounds pretty awesome. I mean, it sounds like what you've created there is, you know, a good, a good solid culture, you know, with the staff and with the, you know, kind of establishing a, uh, a consistently high user experience, you yeah. know, uh, client experience. Yeah, so, I mean, they'll definitely make you stand out in the retail space. Anyway. Without question, yeah. I mean, we've got, yeah, I think, five star ratings on every single one of the uh, public mediums you can get rated on. Yeah, out there, I don't think that's by accident. Yeah, um, and we're not fishing for those comments. Those are, those are all voluntarily. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you have the drum. Um, you know, those are all voluntarily put forward. And sure. And, you know, just looking at how much repeat clientele we have from, you know, we have people from 10 years ago that are back in town for business and we're the first person to call again. Sure. That's so awesome. That says something. Yeah, it's got to be a great feeling. Yeah, it's great. Kind of move into the next section um, of the interview. What, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you say the first 90, 90 minutes of each day looks like for you? Poof. <sighs> I hate to do this to you, but every day is a new day. Okay. Um, as much as I try to create routine... I think that uh, because we've got so many different balls in the air with what our business does, um, I mean, just to just to touch on them, we've got the travel component, we got our guide component. Uh, within the guiding component, we've got a new women's program that we're that we're launching again. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got all of our local stuff. Uh, those seasons are ever changing, so every month something's altering a little bit mm-hmm. uh, I've got my photography business okay that I am constantly trying to keep tabs on and, and grow um, and then uh, and then I actually run social media for Patagonia Flyfish for okay. uh, our global accounts of 
uh, Instagram and Facebook. Okay. And so I, I guess my 90 minutes in the morning is uh, get up and attack the computer and, and try to push out when it's uh, appropriate all the necessary uh, media that needs to go out for the day, sure. at least to start the day. Get my daughter up, get her to school, and then immerse myself back in whatever I left hanging when I when I got her up. So. Sure. So, so really, Probably not different than anybody else's day, really. Sure, it sounds like most small business owners I know. It's like it's <laughs> yeah. kind of controlled chaos. Sometimes yeah, there's is. no control. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, it's not a. I wish it was a get up and and stroll through my back forty with a cup of coffee and sure, start watch day. the elk roll by and yeah. stuff like that. Some organic tea and some yeah. yoga and meditation. I'd love to have it be like that. Yeah. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. There's usually usually that's you know here's the ideal what I'd like to see and here's yeah. how it actually happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Uh, what would you say is your, your greatest strength? Personally or company? Uh, both. Personally, I think I, um, I think I'm a, <laughs> and some people will probably cringe at this, but I think I'm a very, very good salesperson just because I, the selling for me isn't necessarily the look at an immediate need for you to buy something or spend your money here. It's more a building of a long-term relationship where I'd rather have the conversation with you mm -hmm. and have you walk out with nothing right now, knowing full well you're coming back because I was absolutely as objective as possible about, sure. what, about what you were asking about. Sure. And just, you know, trusting that the recognition of that is going gonna, is gonna to bring you back because that's what you'll expect to get every time you come in. Sure. They could feel the you're there to help, not to sell them something. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think that just I think that's a really hard thing from and I've worked in sales in a multitude of other regions growing mm -hmm. up too. Um, and that was definitely not <laughs> looked looked favorably upon at, at uh, Nordstrom and other sure. places. It was uh, at least at the time twenty years ago, it yeah. was you sell them stuff now. Sure. They don't walk out without buying something now. Right. And so it, it's just it's just putting the trust and and putting it out there on your shirt sleeve that mm -hmm. doing this because I love it and I know you're gonna you know I know that what I've told you is gonna help you and therefore I know you're gonna want to spend your money with us. Sure, putting so, the emphasis on the relationship building, not yeah. on the, the making the sales. You know, yeah, which maybe unintuitively leads to you know better sales, not the not I, the hard not I the hard clothes, you know. Yeah. Well I think, you know, the the thing that and you know, there that warrants the conversation of, you know, do you sell somebody the hundred dollar rod versus the nine hundred dollar rod? And, you know, how did you you know, where was the fork in the road that took you there? Sure. Um, and yeah, it's it's a tight line to walk. I'm mm -hmm. not gonna lie about that. It's you have to navigate that road fairly, fairly carefully, so mm -hmm. that you're not feeling like you're pressuring, but also not underselling your consumer that wants to spend more money. Like, sure, don't just let them undermine their own want to have the nicest thing possible if that's really what they want. And right. that, you know, that takes a, a fairly high level conversation to try to get out of people sometimes. Sure, um, but at the same time, the person that you know is not going to be able to afford that. Yeah. And walks out still feeling great about what they bought mm -hmm. is eventually I'm positive going to come back and upgrade at some point. So it's not just the one time sale; it's a lifetime of having them come in and upgrade and change and expand and diversify what they're doing right. in the sport. So 
Yeah, sounds like a great way to approach it. You know, great, yeah. great philosophy. Uh, what is one habit that you wish you had? Habit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one habit. Wow. I don't know if I saw that on the questionnaire before I got in here. One habit that I wish I had. Oh, okay, I'll, I know what that is. Uh, I would say that I um, have the uncanny ability to state how I feel on subjects without any sort of buffer sometimes. And I wish I had a a little bit better retention and recalibration of of how I approach and say things to people sometimes. Okay. The people who know me that listen to this will laugh their (laughs) butts off when they hear that. Uh, Wish you had a better filter, right? Now, what what are you passionate about? I mean, clearly outdoors, fishing, that sort of thing, but is there anything particular that, um, uh, particular that comes to mind? I mean, obviously, you know, you're concerned about, you know, the the client experience and that being really good, uh, the the culture of the store, you know, that that sort of thing. I mean, can you kind of narrow down, like, what passion drives, like, how you do business? I mean, I, initially, I was going to say I'm passionate about trying to help educate the educate our base about um, the legitimate state of, of our fisheries in the state and help them understand that each and every person that learns to fly fish can be a steward of our of our fisheries, okay. and they need it. Yeah. From Puget Sound to small creeks to steelhead rivers to mm-hmm. salmon, everything we're we're growing exponentially the city and there's just more and more pressure on everything and um, policy for management isn't necessarily totally in place to take the best care of a lot of those fisheries and it's mm-hmm. going to be the public's loud voice that's going to help structure that management properly for the future um, and you know when you have a kid you have oh we have five-year-old son five-year-old yep. yeah so uh, I don't know about you but when my daughter was born sometime in that first year a light switch went on in my head and it just was no longer about me it was about her it was about everything I'm going to do now is going to be for the sake of her having the same opportunities that I had Mm -hmm. and so that really drives a lot of personally what I do and how I view what what we do as a sport because it is it's a fun sport we love it Um, but it can be so much more it has the ability to be so much more sure so so I mean I'm sure I'm sure you could talk at length, you know, about that, you know, the, the kind of the stewardship of, of mm-hmm. the resources and, and uh, how that affects fishing. I mean, in a nutshell, like, what, what would that message be? Um, or, or I guess more specifically, how can uh, fellow fishers contribute to making sure that those resources are there in the future? Getting involved. Okay. Yeah. Um, They're talking like policy, local policy. Yeah, just... Uh, Clubs that are participating in NGOs that have the ear of politicians around here that help them direct the right message to the WDFW and, and above them, NOAA and other agencies so that they're making the right decisions because really what those decisions come down to is um, latitude and path of least resistance if you will, for management policy. And if the loudest voice is, you know, 
telling those agencies that everybody wants to keeping you know catch and keep all of their fish then that's where management policy is going to sort of drive itself okay. um, but if you look at where the state is now versus where it was 20 years ago i think most would agree the fishing here was exponentially better for nearly everything hmm. that we fish for currently okay and so that's a hindsight for policy that they haven't done a good enough job but at the same time 20 years ago how loud a voice could the public have had? It was pre-social media. A lot of the NGOs weren't even in existence that are in that are in today. That sure. were you know trying to drive that policy and you know how effective were they at delivering that message to those policymakers? Right. So I think everything's gotten has been made easier for the public to get involved, and it's just a matter of being able to relay that invitation, if you will, to mm-hmm. people. Obviously, at a level that they're comfortable hearing it. Sure. Um, that if if they care, they should they should take a little bit of their time, sure, and help. Right. Well, let's get specific. I mean, what are some of those organizations? I, I, I what are some of those organizations that you'd recommend people? Um, there's a there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, Puget Soundkeeper Alliance, uh, working very hard to keep Puget Sound's waters clean. Um, they're also watchdog for Superfund sites and and working very hard on the coal train projects that are going on right now. Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty heavy-handed battle going on on that in this region right now. Uh, Wild Steelhead Coalition, working specifically on on policy for managing our state fish, the wild steelhead. Um, Wild Fish Conservancy, uh, sadly, it does need to go to litigation sometimes, and they've been a pretty good facilitator of, of getting uh, courts to make judgments and force policy in the direction that we feel like it needs to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus the amount of science that they do to support the uh, reasons why they take those those stances in court. Um, Trout Unlimited does some does some great work on habitat uh, restoration and stuff in in the entire region. Um, Save Our Wild Salmon is working hard on. Uh, um, regaining salmon populations and currently their biggest issue right now is probably the um, upper snake river dams and trying to get those removed to help free up the migrating fish back to their spawning habitat mm-hmm. um, there's there's a ton of them. those okay. are specific ones to our to our industry more okay. or less obviously you can go bigger and go to nature conservancy and mm-hmm. and so on and so forth but those are the ones i work pretty closely with okay can you tell us about one of your worst entrepreneurial moments? I, I think the, the one that is probably the hardest for any entrepreneur, any business owner, period, is just, you know, staffing your, your growing business. Mm-hmm. And that is... <laughs> That's been a bit of a learning process, isn't it? I've, I think I've done fairly well with it, but I think that it, it's an ongoing challenge. You know, I think your business is always, especially when you started, it's always you. Mm-hmm. And it's always going to be nearest and dearest to your heart. Yeah. But as soon as you get even one off from you, that that passion is very difficult to run through the veins of somebody who's just working for you. And so the idea of trying to find people that, you know, as closely as possible mirror all the same values that you do uh, in work ethic, in ideals, in, you know, every single aspect of what they're going to do when they work for you and when they're not. Yeah. Um, it behooves you to be as diligent as possible and making sure that every person that you give a nod to work for you 
is as close to you as you can possibly become. Sure. I know a lot of people would look at that as a challenge because they don't want two chiefs in the you know in the running there. But I I honestly believe that being able to let go of the reins and let somebody that's that close take on some of that responsibility mm-hmm. even more closely embodies them to you and therefore your business is going to be more more lucrative and more beneficial to that. Sure. It's a very hard thing to do. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine. I mean, it's uh, have you ever read the book Good to Great, mm-hmm. Jim Collins? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I think what you're alluding to is basically getting the right people on the bus, right? You know? Absolutely. Uh, and then obviously the ongoing question is, well, how do you then take that and develop a culture to, you know, get them the rest of the way there, mm-hmm. you know? It's, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess looking back on, you know, that, you, one of your biggest challenges being, you know, staffing. Um, is there any specific lessons you've learned, you know, in that in that process? In the staffing process, yeah. Uh, I was thoroughly thrown under the bus by a former employee, and um, in a number of different circumstances, undermining other staff that looked up to him for guidance because he was a senior guide with me at the time, mm-hmm. and. Uh, just decisions he made on his own behalf because he knew he was exiting and it and I didn't realize that he had already been doing his own thing for uh, probably six months mm-hmm. to a year before I I let him go and I, I still hold that grudge to this day sure I'd imagine it'd be challenging the, undermining your business and your yeah totally undermine my business yeah. you know and I, I got emails constantly for a while from people trying to get a hold of him and I'm like oh yeah well no it doesn't work for me anymore yeah I would also say that it would really be a it would it would do it would have done my company no favors to have held that burden and applied that to everybody else I hired afterwards Mm -hmm. trust is obviously one of those things that's very difficult to earn and once broken is incredibly difficult if impossible to earn back sure so being able to get over that and and wipe my own personal slate clean and still be able to implicitly trust everybody I hired because it's a it's a new relationship and it's just going to be what it's going to be and and letting them inside of me enough to know that I'm all in mm-hmm. with them if they'll do the same. So. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it'd be a tough challenge to kind of get past and. I still have a hard time with it. Sure. In 10 years. Yeah. Well, on the uh, kind of, I guess, the flip side of that, uh, there's obviously uh, great moments, you know, with owning your business and be able to direct, you know, kind of your, your destiny. What would you say is, maybe give us an example of like a, a aha moment of, you know, this is, this is why I do this. This is how I define success in my business. I don't think it's anything profound. Uh, it's not like a big turning point moment per se. Um, as much as it's, uh, if you could, you know, step step out of your body and watch everything going on around you, your, you know, the store, your employees, the customers, and see the the whole machine working, um, and take enormous pride in every single little cog that's working really well at that at that time, mm-hmm. given all the different things that are going on. Um, I honestly I tried not to take any of that for granted I really try to acknowledge every success at the smallest level possible Mm -hmm. whether that's a new person comes in and and they walk in just to say 
thanks for last week. That was that was great. And they don't, you know, that's all they're doing. They're just coming in and say thanks for last week. That mm-hmm. that seminar you put on was fantastic. That information you gave me was terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you get a text from the water of somebody and the first fish that they caught because of talking to you or taking a school or a casting class or I mean just I, I, I lump it all together but I pay attention to all that sure. it's, it's really hard not to I don't think you should yeah so it sounds like kind of summing it up it's like kind of those little those little things that yeah. that really make it worth it is worth baby while. steps yeah you know it's all the little ones are going to get you there sure and uh, as soon as you start to ignore the little ones at least in my opinion in our sport I think as soon as you start to ignore the little ones your foundation starts to fall away and eventually you're going to find collapse yeah uh, so kind of moving into the final section uh, that calls kind of the lightning round, kind of quick questions, quick yep. responses. Uh, in the past, what was holding you back from becoming the entrepreneur that you are today? Money. Money, that's, that's a big one. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever received? Jump in with both feet and give 100% of yourself to it. Like Unconditionally. That. I like that. Uh, what is one personal habit you, that contributes to your success? A sense of humor. Do uh, do you listen to Tim Ferriss' podcast at all? You know I don't have is? time to listen to shit. Yeah, I used to yeah. when I used to have a commute. But yeah, no, I I haven't. Okay. So what uh, what is what does he do for his podcast? I didn't even know he had one actually. Yeah. Well, you know, so you know who he is. Yep. Okay. So uh, so his podcast is kind of along the same vein of. Uh, his other things he kind of takes you know industry leaders and you know, interviews them and draws out their story and mm-hmm. you know kind of uh, goes against the grain mm-hmm. on a lot of stuff but uh he does certain segments where he calls it drunk drunk dialing where basically you know he'll sit down with some scotch or whatever and call you know a fan or someone who had a question and you know by the end of it he's you know he could turn around you yeah. know yeah. Awesome. <laughs> it's pretty funny <laughs> you gotta throw that kind of color into yeah. stuff like that otherwise it's just too boring yeah that so, is funny yeah, i'll have to listen funny. to one of those uh, and we kind of mentioned this, I think, pre-interview, but do you listen to podcasts? Uh, if you had time, what would your favorite podcast be? Um, I've, I don't listen to, I don't listen to much. I don't have time. Yeah. I mean, between running all of the businesses within our business yeah. and being a dad and a soccer coach and a husband and a house homeowner, and uh, I had don't I don't have time to listen to any um the only one I do listen to is within our industry it's uh April Vokey April Vokey's anchored podcast um mostly because she's a friend of mine and and I think she's asking the hard questions of some of the more enlightened people in our industry and uh with the idea of not just trying to be entertaining but trying to be informative and and uh and move the dial in favor of fish Okay. Cool. Um, if you could recommend just one book to our listeners, what would it be? We'll let my people go surfing from Yvonne Chouinard. And what uh, what's that about? A little it's business. It's a it's a business ethos okay. book on on how Patagonia came to be and how he made very difficult decisions on how to do what with Patagonia in the early stages. And, vision for it going forward was okay I'll have to uh, check that out sounds, yeah. sounds interesting yeah that's a good one uh, in parting can you share one piece of parting guidance for our listeners parting guidance yes impart your wisdom unto us um, okay well I guess what I would say is that uh, 
I spend an, I don't spend as much time as I used to, but I used to spend a ton of time with people on the water guiding them. I, uh, that's why I love the job. Okay. I'm a people person, and, and my ability to spend days and even week at a time with people um, in you know very one-on-one, one-on-two situations, you get to know people really well. Okay. And uh, I think while money certainly makes the world go around, um, I've seen a lot of relatively unhappy people with a lot of money. And so I guess my advice would be if, um, if you make a lot of money and you're unhappy, change it. Try something else. Huh? Figure out something that you really yep. want to do and throw yourself at it and mm-hmm. see what happens. Sure. You only have one life to live, so live it. Yeah. I like it. Um, and uh, in, in closing, what's the best way for our listeners to find out more about your business or get in touch with you? Uh, we have our website, emeraldwateranglers.com. Obviously, we also have Facebook and Instagram pages, um, and that's that's the best. And if you live here in West Seattle, come in and say hi. Forty second morning. Great, sounds good. Well, thank you, Dave, for yeah, joining me today. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, man. it's been been great. Good to know you yeah, and, and you hearing too. your story. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate cool. it. Yep. That wraps up this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the C-Town Podcast on iTunes, as well as take a moment to rate and review my podcast and share it with your friends. If you want to hear more episodes or find out more about the podcast, you can go to the website at ctownpodcast.com. That's S-E-A hyphen townpodcast.com. I would also love to hear from you, the listener, with any suggestions or feedback you have for me or recommendations for guests to invite on the show. You can email me directly at christianharris at ctown.com. You can also find out more about me and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com, S-E-A hyphen town.com. Thanks for listening. So you said you've done interviews before. What yeah. uh, kind of what what platforms or what? Uh, mostly within our industry. Okay. Um, and then I used to do a, um, a video podcast with a friend of mine called Skate the Fly, and we okay. interviewed people via Skype uh, during that and drank okay. a lot of beer and made asses of ourselves. Nice. So you're totally familiar with this process. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. awesome. So bring all the beer out and let's. Yeah, I, I got some. You want? You want? You thirsty? Sure. I'll sure. Yeah. Beer. Okay. If you can have one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's do that. I do what I want. That'll lose. I know. Me too. Right back. All right.